Good morning. It's uh, great to have you here today. Uh, we, um, as a pastoral team, and as the elders, we talked about this, we, we wanted to do a series of messages uh, concerning tensions in the culture that we have. Um, and I got assigned a very easy one on sexuality, transgender, and all that stuff. Like, how does this happen? Yeah. Um, no, no. I, but, but honestly, one of the reasons this is important to us, we all believe that God's word is our authority. But we also believe it's sufficient to help us know how to live. And so it gives us a grid through which we can approach any issue in life. So as we talk through some of these issues today, um, I... I want to do it appropriately because I know we have some younger people with us here too. And yet I want you to see that God speaks and God gives hope in whatever we face. I went on the internet the other day to a site that was entitled, and I'm not promoting this site, I'm just saying, okay? Um, Okay to be me. You know, kind of on the surface, that doesn't sound too terribly bad, does it? I mean, doesn't God make us certain ways? If you're more aesthetic, you should express that gift. If you're more, you you know what I'm saying? I mean, so you read it and you go like, sort of, only to find out that it was a site that's committed to the, what's called the LBGTQ, and we'll just say plus movement. Because there's actually, depending upon who you talk to, there's a fair amount in that whole plus. So I went on the site, just wanted to see how they define terms and some of the terms that I'm not always up on. And there's at least 20 terms on there. Everything from terms like gender which means some believe there are no genders, so you and I are living in some delusion. There is bi-gender, there is pan-gender. Pan-gender people are those who feel they identify as all genders at the same time. And honestly, I started reading through Two spirits, transsexual, transgender, all this stuff. I'm reading through all these categories, and I thought to myself, what a confusing world. You know what my concern is about the okay to be me? Here's what they're saying. I mean, if you think about it philosophically, um, for, for much of human existence, truth was believed to be something outside of ourselves. There was a norm out there. Now, now maybe it, w- it came through a philosophy. Fair enough. Or maybe it was a sacred norm. We would say the Bible. People had all kinds of different sacred norms. But what you would do is you would try to look out there and figure out what that norm says and try to make your life more consistent with it. Right? And you would often get validated by a community something along those lines. Frankly, post-war America 
in many, many fields has now turned inward. And if you want to find truth, if you want to find identity, who am I? What makes life work? What should I be living for? So many now in our day say, say, will tell you that you find that within yourself. You don't need to be redeemed from yourself. You need to be redeemed from those that want to try to redeem you. It's a total reversal. It's not just different from a Christian worldview. It's antagonistic to a Christian worldview. And we live in this sweep today. And so what, what do we do? I was reading a book this week, a newer book out on the whole transgender issue and reading through it. And, and so, I mean, I, I could have camped out some on homosexuality or transgender. I, I'm going to kind of go with the transgender for this one, for what it's worth, okay? But um, it's just, it, it fascinates me how things are um, redefined. And so, sexuality is now defined, and, and you think, well, people have thought this for decades and decades. No, it's relatively new in the last 40 years, 50 years. Now, when you talk about someone's sexual identity what, or se- sex, you're talking about who they are biologically at birth, okay? But when you talk about gender, gender is not a physiological category. It's a psychological category. Gender is who I feel I am in the inside. And when you have a conflict between your biological sex and your felt gender, when they're opposite, then you, then you start moving into the whole language of transgender. I may look like a guy, but inside... I believe I'm a female. Now, frankly, in the literature, as you read it, it's much more complicated than that. Because some will say, even starting with those two categories is dead wrong. You should just say genderless, and people just fluidly float all over the place. So, I mean, the literature just goes in a lot of different directions. But, but, but at its core, it's going to say at least that. What do we do? Do we isolate ourselves? Do we say, because uh, do, do you ever feel intimidated? Like if you're in certain circles and people are pushing these things because we live in a day of activism, you think to yourself, I'm not even going to raise this issue because people are going to come after me. Don't, honestly, isn't it true? And, and look, sometimes in prudence, that's really probably a pretty good move. I, I, like, I get that. So you've you got to be careful and wise on how you engage and when you engage. Like, I, I get all that. My concern is sometimes this erodes the faith of believers. And believers look at these issues and say, maybe... Maybe the Bible isn't sufficient at the end of the day. Maybe we should go with science. Yeah, science, that has the answer. Well, which science? Do you go with biology or psychology? 
depends. No, no, no. Sociology, that would be another option. Because all of them are at conflict with each other. When you read the literature, they, one says this, one says, and then within each one, there's debate. So is that where I put my weight? My wife and I were reading part of this book together this week, and um, one, of the, one of the articles, or one, one, one of the guys was saying, well, you know, it, it may be when you come to the Bible that um, the Bible is just a little bit antiquated and kind of untrustworthy. And so, you know, you got to kind of fudge on some of these things. And folks, what I want to say today is the Bible as our authority is very clear on this topic. And I want to walk you just through three passages. If, if we had a lot of, I mean, honestly, we could spend hours on this thing. But I, I want to just talk about three passages with you, and maybe I'll mention a couple on the way. But I want to focus on three, three passages all of which mention the expression male and female. Because the Bible is very, very clear. There's only two genders and two sexes. It's the same thing. There's two. And so the term that is used is binary or polarity, but there's only two options. But you live in a world where people believe in gender fluidity. They believe in a continuum rather than separate categories. And just looking at these three texts, I think what you'll see again is God's way is always best. Now, what I don't want to do is end there. So that third text I chose very purposefully because it will help us Okay, so what does that mean for us now as we minister in a world like this? Okay? What does it mean to be people of truth who love people? Because sometimes Christians are viewed as people of truth who hate people that don't agree with them. And that's the farthest thing from the truth as Christians. The reason we hold the truth is because we do love people. Do you see? So I'm going to walk through just three passages with you. And, and this is a little bit of a different kind of sermon. I feel like I'm a little bit teachy today. But I don't quite know how else to do that. All right? So I'm going to walk through these texts, and you can come, come with me to each one. The first one, and you can turn over in your Bibles there, or you can look at the screen where I have the, the, the key text Listed, this is comes from what's called the Lexham translation. It's a good translation. It's a lot like the ESV, but I like the way it actually said, said some of the stuff. Um, so in Genesis chapter 1, our God creates. And, and one of the things you notice in Genesis 1 are a whole series of what we, of what we call opposites. Light and, 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 and darkness. And, 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 and as, you, as you're reading through the text, one of these other opposites that are meant to be seen together is male and female. So let, let, me, let me read the, uh, the passage and then just make a couple comments. So Genesis 1.27. So God created 
humankind in his image. Which is why we believe every human being has value. Because they're created in the image of God. Now, the image is marred, isn't it? People aren't living the way God's called them to be. But, but there's something unique about humans, which is very different from animals. You'll never drive by a, a, you know, a pasture in Lancaster County and see two cows having a deep discussion about spiritual things. You know, hey, what do you think about what the guy said on Sunday? I never saw a cow talk about those kinds of things. Right? Because they're not created in the image of God. There's, there's no ability to rationally reason. None of those things. So, so God created humankind in his image. In the likeness of God, he created him. And, and when he uses that expression, he's talking about us as a unit. Mankind, humankind. But look at this. Male and female, he created them. So, is there any other way to talk about humanity. Yeah. Male and female. Well, how about, no, that's it. Yeah, but could we, no, no, no. That, that, that's it. There, there, there's nothing else. So we can say at least two things. God created only two genders, male and female. These two genders reflect aspects of God's character. Now, at one level, as all humans... We are in the image of, created in the image of God. Part of what that means is we're relational beings. We're, we're people, we're meaning makers. We try to make sense of life. Like, no cow does that. We're worshipers. We were meant for relationship, folks. And so there's aspects of the image of God that is true of all of us. It doesn't matter who you are. You're human. That's the guts of it. That's the bulk of it. I shouldn't say guts. That's the bulk of it, sorry. Um, but it's fascinating to me that when you look through the Scripture at times when God describes himself, God is sexless, right? We're all agreed on that, right? Although when he's portrayed in Scripture, he's identified as a he. Fair enough. But it's interesting when you read through Scripture, there are times when God will describe himself using the image of a woman to portray his tenderness and care and nurturingness. And there's other times he'll use the image of, of, of the man to show the, the, the strength, perhaps focusing on protection and provision or whatever. And here's what to me is really important. God wants us to reflect him as humans. He also wants us to reflect him as male and female. Because together, when we're living that out, we show forth his glory. Do you see? Now, here's what happens. People come to passages like that and say, okay, okay, okay. I'm just telling you how people write about this stuff in the literature. Fair enough. I'll give you that one, Finkbeiner. Male and female, God only sees two options. I'll give you that at creation. However, we live on this side of the fall. Man has sinned against God. And therefore, 
physiologically and biologically and psychologically. People do all kinds of strange things. So maybe now God has a different plan. Maybe now he's, he's open to more alternatives. And folks, people who claim the name of Christ, there are some folks that will argue that way. I, 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 I think it's absolutely dead wrong. But, but let me show you from Scripture. I want to come to a second passage. And actually, before I get there, I want to stop off on the way in Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy chapter 22, you have a host of laws being given, many of which are tying into the relationship between male and female. And one of the things that's said in the midst of that in verse 5 is, and I'm reading from the NIV, a woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear woman's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. And, and it seems like there's more going on here because of the false religions around them. So I get that. These are, these are, it doesn't mean we both happen to wear windbreakers that look similar and, oh, Finkbeiner and Sherry broke the whole thing here. That's not the point. What it means is there's certain individuals within Israel as they look at the religions around them and say, I'm going to do that too. I'm going to violate the distinction between male and female because that's what's happening in some of the religions around. We should be doing that too. And this text says, no, 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 no. No, you can't go there. Now, what happens is people look at Deuteronomy 22 and they say, that's Old Testament law. We're under grace. You're right. So let's see what Jesus says. In Matthew 19... The discussion here is the discussion over divorce, and I, I'm not going to get into that issue. There, there's another non-controversial one, right? But, but no. So I'm not going to get into that one um, here in verses 1 through 12. Um, but here's what I want you to see. Notice in the midst of the argument, to support his argument, what Jesus goes back to. Listen to the text. And here would be my point. Jesus Christ affirms in a fallen world that God has uniquely designed only two complementary genders, male and female. So what he says in 19.4 is this. Jesus answered and said, Have you not read that the one who created them from the beginning made them male and female? This particular text speaks both to the issue on homosexuality and transgenderism, to both. Because Jesus' argument is based on the fact that you have two, and you can't have a guy and a girl. I'm sorry, you, you can't that one, sorry. You can't have a guy and a guy make a marriage. It doesn't work. I, I, I don't care what our world calls it. It's not marriage doesn't matter. You can't have a woman, quote-unquote, marrying a woman, and for God to say, that's a marriage. It's not. No, it's, it can only be between a man and a woman. That's God's design from the beginning. And you don't go this way or that. That's it. So, 
Jesus is really, really clear on that. And yet, here's something that's fascinating to me that I think is really important to this whole discussion. So Jesus argues that way down through verse 10. And in this particular passage, <laughs> you've got to love the disciples. Because what Jesus does is he takes marriage and restores it to God's ideal and says, look, marriage should be a commitment to that other person for your entire life. That's the way it's supposed to work. That was God's intent from the beginning when he made separate genders and recognized that they would come together this way into a one-flesh relationship and could then procreate and make a difference in the world around us. That's kind of how he's arguing. Well, the disciples are listening to all that and they're saying to themselves, some are saying like, do you mean like if I marry this woman, I'm stuck with her the rest of my life? I mean, good night. Well, no, look what, I'm, I'm making it up. Look at verse 10. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. <laughs> we got to love these guys. You know, I mean, you know, they, they say what, what people think. Like, I'm, I'm just telling you. And Jesus, in responding to that, makes a very important comment about living in a fallen world where there's only two genders. Look at what he says in verse 11. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only to those to whom it has been given. And so I think what he's saying is, you guys just said, hey, it's better not to marry. And Jesus said, well, it seems to me there's three reasons why someone would choose not to marry. Not not that there's not more, but here's three biggies. And it's all around the idea of being what we call a eunuch, okay? And I'm not going to get into details of what makes you a eunuch um, for the men, but I think you know, okay? I'm just saying. But listen to what Jesus says. There are eunuchs who were born that way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And I think Tim's going to be touching base with this passage more next week, so I'll try to stay away from it. Eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven means that there's certain individuals who have chosen the single life, and Paul gets into this in detail in 1 Corinthians 7. There are people who've made a choice for the purposes of the kingdom that they will not get married and experience that sexual relationship that God has established from the beginning, and the reason they choose not to, take, to, to accept that good gift from God is because they feel they can further God's purposes by staying single. And you know why, folks? That's why in a church like this, when we see people who are single, we should not go like, hey, what's wrong with them? We should say, God can use them too in ways he can't use me, right? That'd be another one. I'm not going to talk. I'm just the first two eunuchs is where I want to camp out. That'd be another. That's a good topic, but not for today. Eunuchs who are born that way and eunuchs who are made eunuchs by others. In the ancient world, if somebody hired me on to be a counselor for the queen, guess what happens to me? Yeah, yeah, you got it. Because the king doesn't want any of that stuff with his queen except with him. So, people were made eunuchs. 
But Jesus recognizes some people, when they're born, there's deformities. There is. And so when you get into the whole issue of what's often called intersex, and, 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 and it, it, the, the, the literature goes on and on on this one too. But, but here's the point. Jesus recognizes in a fallen world that some people, males in this case, will not have all the physiological stuff <laughs> because people do that to them or because they're born that way. And yet, within the same passage, he doesn't give me any other options but two. A male eunuch is a male eunuch who has challenges because of what's happened. But he's still a male eunuch. Do you see? So we've moved from creation through the fall, and people say, well, now things have changed. Well, the law, well, forget the law, Old Testament stuff. No, I don't want to forget that either. But Jesus, he's always the right one to talk to. I know. And Jesus talks about it and says, in a fallen world, people are broken. But there's only male and female, folks. There's, there's, there's no other options. One more passage. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. Now, if you don't mind, um, this is the Finkbeiner translation. And I, I did something that you won't read in your English translations, so I put it in italics just so you knew what I was doing. Literally in the Greek, this is how it reads. There is neither Jew nor Greek in, and then there's no object to, to, to the word. There's no object. There is neither slave nor free in. And not, nothing's there. There is not male and female in. But when you read the verses before and after, it's clear that it's talking about a relationship in Christ. So in Galatians chapter 3, the argument of Galatians 3 is this. It's not so much the male-female argument. It's not really what he's dealing with. You remember what he's dealing with in Galatians 3? He's dealing with the Jew-Gentile issue. And what he argues in Galatians chapter 3 is, you've got people that are basically saying, my ethnicity is the right one and yours is the wrong one. And Paul at the end of the day says, no. It's faith in Christ alone that is much deeper than your ethnic differences. Boy, doesn't our world need to hear that one? Do you see? And as he comes to the end of that argument, he throws out, he adds some other things there. So he says, look, when it comes to being in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female. Oh, so if you're a Christian, you're no longer male. That's what it's saying, right? No. Was a Jew still a Jew after they became a Christian? Uh, yeah. Was a Gentile still a Gentile? Yep. When I became a Christian, I kept my German heritage. Now, at my core, though, folks, 
I'm not German. I am. I'm male, too. At my core, I'm a Christian. You know what I love about this passage? Paul, and, 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 and in their day, both within the Greek and Roman world, there was attack on these two things. There's a, there's a prayer that, that, that dates to about 200 A.D. within the Jew, Jewish uh, community that says this. Listen to this. And, and then look at it in light of this passage. Blessed are thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a foreigner. I'm a Jew. Blessed are thou, O Lord, our King, King of the universe, who has not made me a slave. I'm free. Blessed are thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a woman. I'm male. And you had a culture that would grab onto different kinds of things to make people feel like they're superior over others. Do you see? I'm free. I was born free. Never been. I'm not a freed man. I'm a free man. Always been that way. Here's my social status. When I look at you, you're nothing. It's true. Well, I don't know if they did that one. Actually, I'm, they probably did. And worse. And you have other people saying, I'm a Jew, not a dirty, rotten, rotten good-for-nothing, lousy, yucky Gentile. And you had others that said, I'm male and not female because it's much better. And you know what Paul says? Burn down all your houses. It doesn't mean I'm no longer male. It doesn't mean I'm no longer German. It doesn't mean I don't teach in a Bible college somewhere, born in America or whatever else. It just means there's something much deeper. And God brings together us from all kinds of different backgrounds with all kinds of different temptations, having experienced all kinds of different trials. And he goes on to say here, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know what I love about that? Does, does that include the person who was born a eunuch? Yes. What about somebody who was made a eunuch? Yes. Matter of fact, when you go to Acts chapter 8, you got Philip, man, he's cutting loose, and there is revival going crazy amongst the Samaritans. And God says, I need to grab you for a second, and you're going to come over here, and I'm going to want you to go down. I want you to talk to this Ethiopian eunuch. Like, hello? I, you took me? Yes, because all people are of value to me. And, and as Philip comes running up, you remember what happens? Philip, what did that look like? The guy's gone down with his group. And he, he would have been a very wealthy man to, to be able to come from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship. But you know what the problem is when you got to Jerusalem? There was a passage in the law that talked about the fact that people with deformities were limited how far they could go in the actual temple itself. 
And so this man would come up to the temple in the first century, and he could only go so far. He would stay in the, in the section for Gentiles. He could not go any farther. He was a eunuch. He was hopeless. He struggled with that. However he thought about that, he's done. But he still knew God was the answer. You know what text he's reading from as Philip comes up? Isaiah 53. Which he invites Philip up and he says, of who does this speak? And Philip preaches to him Jesus. But here's what's interesting to me. This was a scroll. You know how many people would be able to have scrolls in antiquity? Not too many. This guy had some wealth. He has part of the Isaiah the book of Isaiah. And if he turned, as I'm sure he did, a little bit farther into Isaiah 56, you know what he would find? He would find a promise from God to the, to, uh, under the, the old covenant that said, there is going to come a day when those who truly know me will all be welcomed right into the embrace of, 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 of everything that is mine. And you know who he includes in there? eunuchs. And I I wonder if this guy, as he's reading through the scroll, has been in that Isaiah 56 passage and says, man, there's hope for eunuchs. Who is the Isaiah 53 guy? Oh, do you know? The Bible tells us he hears the gospel and is gloriously saved. And as Philip leaves, the the last thing you're left with on the Ethiopian eunuch is he went back in joy, rejoicing. Do you see? When we minister to a world that's broken, here's what we can't say. If somebody comes into the church or somebody within the church comes up to you and say, hey, I don't know how to tell you this, but I, I struggle with homosexual feelings. I I struggle with transgender feelings. What we don't say as a church is like, what? Whoa! Get him out or her out of here. Do we? We embrace all. Because what is much deeper than all of your struggle, whatever that may be, it's not a matter at the end of the day. You are male or female, but but if you're struggling there, Jesus' identity in Christ is deeper. I don't like my ethnicity. Do you, do you know in the literature they have something called transracism too? Well, you got people from one race. I don't like the word race. I like the word ethnicity better. You got one ethnic group, a person from one ethnicity who says, I know, it'd be like me saying, I know I may look German. But I'm Chinese. Because that's what I feel. And there's a whole bunch, there's literature that, that talks about people who feel one thing, although there's something like this. So, so you hear that stuff and you go to yourself like, is there any hope? If they come into our church, there's hope in Christ for everybody. And it doesn't mean that when they come to Christ, poof, they don't struggle with those desires ever again. It doesn't mean that either. There's process. Sanctification is is longer based on certain things than other things. And it it may not always, it's messy and sloppy. It doesn't always look exactly the way everybody might think it should look. But deeper than all of that, where people, 
where people typically find identity, one of the great problems with this whole sexual revolution is people are trying to find identity in their perception of themselves from within. That spells disaster for them and to any naive spectator who buys into it. And so what you and I are called to do, while the clarity of God's design for male and female brings perspective into a confused and rebellious world, we, we just camp out on that, the English teacher thing, <laughs> Carmelo will work on, but um, I, I'm not giving that one up. I, 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 I don't care what people around me say. I, don't, I, I, I care. But not ultimately. Because I will curse them at the end of the day if I do not stand on the truth. Because then I have nothing to offer them. And so I, I, I come to the struggles of the world around me with the clarity that God has made two genders and only two genders. It's not a continuum. There's only two options. So I get that. And I know people can say, but you know sociologically there's been a study done and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but you know that there's another study that counters that one if you just read another book on it. And, And do you know that'll get turned over in two years anyway when they do the next study? And I'm not minimizing that because we learn from studies. So I'm not, a little bit, but not totally, okay. I I don't want to minimize some of the value. There is value in all that stuff. However, that's not where I put my weight. I put my weight on the God that made us, who knows us, who knows that we're sinners who struggle, who knows that we live in a broken world where people are born in ways at times that are confusing and difficult and challenging. Like, I get it. But we curse them if we change the model so that it revolves around them so they can be, feel good about themselves. So they, it's okay to be me. Not if that's what that means. So the clarity of God's design gives me perspective. It's the truth. But the centrality of our relationship with Christ, which doesn't deny male and female, it just makes, makes us realize there's something deeper to our personhood. The centrality of our relationship with Christ brings humility, compassion, and hope to all who know Christ. So, I had a young man at our school a few years ago come to talk to me, and I I use this illustration because nobody will know who I'm talking about, okay? So, because it's a couple years ago. He sat down with me, and he just, he's a wonderful guy. He's one of my my best students. He was just, just stellar at every level. And he said, Doug, sometimes I just, I hate myself. And sometimes I think I hate God. Because I got these homosexual desires. Why would a good God allow this to happen to me? 
The answer to that is complicated. A good God wouldn't let it just happen to you. There's all kinds of things going on there. And so you have to look at a host of characters and, you know, and, and, and counsel and work through some of those kinds of things. But, but what I wanted this student to know is this, as we talked, as you struggle through this in life, there is something deeper. And that is that God is for you. He sent his very beloved son to die for you. You can never say God is not for me. The cross looms larger than life. God is for me. He will always be for me. He's given me his spirit. He's called me his son so I can say, Abba, Father. Like, you don't get any better than that. So I told him, as you walk through this, don't forget that there's something deeper. And you may suffer and struggle as different people do with different kinds of things. And so I don't struggle with the homosexual thing. I mean, ne- never had. But I got my own set of temptations and struggles. You know? I got my own tendencies that I slip into. So when I look at him, there's no place for me to say, what is wrong with you having a transgender or a homosexual thought? You might... You know what I do? I start by looking at myself. And I say, oh, think biner. Think biner. Notice, yeah, I know, I know, Lord. How about, yeah, I got it. I got it. Oh, yep, that one too. Do you know what I'm saying? So my issue may be different than his, and I've asked the same questions about mine. God, why don't you take this away and stop this? Why did you put me here? Why is this the way it is? Why, why, why? Haven't we all? And I'm not minimizing his. But the depth of what it means to be in Christ gives perspective to wherever we find ourselves. And it doesn't do me any good to latch on and say, I'm going to live to be a German, an American, a man, a rich guy. You always come up empty. But when you go down deep, That is a certain bedrock for all who trust Christ, which then allows us to move back to these other issues with humility and compassion and hope. Because your identity is not based on how you feel and what you would like. Your identity is based on the fact that you know God, and even more than that, God knows you. And that changes everything, folks. The last thing we would want to do is exclude anybody that struggles. We call them in, not to say, you're okay, but to say, God is for you in the person of his son, and he can change you. Do you see? And so, in a world that's gone at times crazy, as Proverbs says, good is bad and bad is now good. I mean, don't you sometimes hear certain things you go, like, you don't, but you can't possibly believe that. You can't possibly believe that. You think I'm a person of faith? Hello. What you what you're say, but in a world 
like this, we must always value the individuals who are victims of the larger lie of the world. And tell them that Jesus will forgive you and Jesus alone can change you. Father, um, I'm sure there's a lot I met, I missed and should have discussed, but Lord, I, I pray that we understand <laughs> that you know our inner thoughts. You know what we're planning to do and what we will do long before we ever do any of them. The whole sexual revolution with the whole homosexual movement and the transgender movement, none of this has caught you off guard, Lord. Your word is sufficient to help us think correctly, to help us to know what is the very core of what it means to be a person in relationship with you. And then to move back into a broken world, a fallen world, a rebellious world, with compassion and hope. Father, free us through the gospel. In Christ's name, amen.